0: Hi and welcome to Make Space for Nature from Nature Scott, the podcast that celebrates Scotland's nature and landscapes. I'm Kirsten Guthrie and in each episode I, along with my co-presenters and guests, will help you connect with and protect our amazing natural world. In this episode, Tim Hancock's and I speak to Dr. Heather Reid, who recently joined Nature Scott's board. Heather's a science education consultant and former weather forecaster with the Met office in BBC Scotland. We chat about the impact of climate change on our weather and what practical action we can all take to help fight climate change. So hi Heather, welcome to the Make Space for Nature podcast and thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? I'm good, thank you, and thanks for inviting me on. So, I'm going to kick off. Um, we always ask um, our guests what job or work they're, they're doing. Um, so, many of us obviously know you from your work with the Met Office and the BBC um, and your weather reporting. But, can I ask what work you're doing now and why did you decide to join Nature Scotts board?
1: Well, as you say, I am a reasonably new member of Nature Scotts uh, board. Um, and for the past almost three years, I've been a member of uh, Loch Lomond and the Trostooks National Park Authority Board. Um, and uh, in conjunction with that, really since I retired from forecasting the weather on television and with the Met Office, I've been working with a range of um, education providers across Scotland um, using weather and climate change as a, as a context for STEM learning. So we Working with teachers, working with um, young people, trying to raise awareness about climate change in particular. And that took me to working with the National Park. And I suppose during these last couple of years, I've really seen the overlap between the climate emergency and the nature crisis. And that led me to apply to be on the Nature Scott board to see if I could help bring some of that experience around raising awareness about climate change over the last 25 or so years um, to working with um, trying to do something similar around uh, the nature crisis and the crossover there is there and the importance of engaging a whole range of audiences on what is a, a really important crisis for us here in Scotland, the UK, and globally? Great. Well, that that actually leads on to my next question,
0: which was: um, I know you're a huge ambassador for STEM and generally promoting science, especially behind weather um, and climate change. You kind of alluded to it there, but can you tell us what STEM actually is, what it stands for, um, and why it's so important? You know, my children certainly have STEM in, in school, um, and it's a really important uh, part of the, the curriculum. So. Just can you give us a wee insight uh, into actually what it is, uh, yeah, and why it's so important?
1: Absolutely. Well, STEM itself stands for science, technology, engineering and mathematics. So it's the, the cluster of subjects around the sciences and, um, and the application of the sciences and, and maths underpinning, and underpinning all that, um, that uh, really provide a huge range of job opportunities for us here in, in Scotland. Um, and also, I think, are, are so important for young people to be um, informed to makers in the future as well, because science um, underpins so much um, uh, future uh, society. Um, whether it's um, the internet and, um, and, and decision-making, um, ethical decision-making around how we use technology, because we can doesn't always mes- necessarily mean uh, we should. Uh, it's also when you even just think about what we've been through in terms of a pandemic, then um, STEM skills, STEM knowledge uh, is, is really important for uh, young people and for the general public as well. So engaging um, the, the general public through our Science Centre network, through uh, science festivals, um, on some of these really hot topics uh, that uh, are very, very current. Um, so whether it's climate change, um, whether it's uh, clean water and how we how we address that need in the developing world, or whether it's around um, the pandemic as well, then STEM skills are really central to that and have become increasingly important over the last 10, 20 years um, in schools. And I think obviously the the nature crisis and the work we're doing at Nature Scott also um, fits within that STEM agenda with young people as well. And, um, and and they learn about biodiversity and they, and they learn about um, renewables and some of the challenges around uh, around these areas in primary school now. So so that's great. And we have one of the um, one of the best curriculums in the world to uh, include those topics uh, for for the last decade. Um, and I think we're seeing that in terms of young people's um, uh, desire to be more involved, to be very vocal and very. Active on these subjects.
0: So moving on to um, weather itself. So Scotland, as we know, can be so variable with weather. I mean, it's it's been drich, a good Scottish word, um, here the last few days, but it's now lovely and sunny today. So what what changes in the weather have you seen? Um, you know, over over your your career, um, and and do you think this
1: is caused solely by climate change? Well. Uh, yes, <laughs> and I think uh, over the last um, 30 years, so weather forecasters and climatologists like to work in a 30-year period. So we talk about uh, weather being what you see outside the window and the day-to-day variations in, um, in in atmospheric conditions, so whether it's raining today or raining tomorrow, and then climate is that averaged-out weather over a period of 30 years. And, um, and, and in the last 30 years, we've actually, in the West, of Scotland, seen a twenty percent increase in rainfall in the winter months, and that is just phenomenal. You know, you look back previous thirty-year periods or climate records, and you just don't see that. You don't see that huge jump, and I think that's what we're all concerned about. We're concerned about the the pace. At which this is happening, what that means for our natural world, what that means for for us as in humankind, for our um, infrastructure, whether it be our road network or bridges or rail rail network, um, you, this is a huge challenge because of the unprecedented change that we are seeing in our weather. Um, In terms of, I I think, rainfall is a very uh, vivid one because you obviously see the flooding and you see the uh, landslide uh, issues that we have um, within, again, roads, but also for uh, habitats as well. Um, but I think the other really key issue for for us in in weather is the intensity of the weather events. And I think you know if we all just sort of think about some of the rainfall events we've seen, even the last couple of months, it's like wow, you know, it is absolutely hammering it down outside the window there, and in a way that you would maybe only have seen every you know so often, but not as frequently as we're seeing at the moment. So it's those intense rainfall events. It's the more prolonged dry hot spells that we're seeing um, at times during the summer months as well that I think again sets this apart in terms of a changing climate. So when I first started forecasting the weather in 1994, I am that old, um, then it was really unusual to break a record. You know it was a massive event in the weather centre if we had um, a broken record, if it was a a new maximum temperature, or a new um, sort of overnight temperature, or rainfall amount, uh, and now those records are being broken weekly, monthly at times. Um, so it's it really is unprecedented. I can't get over enough. I think just how unusual um, what we're seeing now. In terms of uh, change, climate change, and you know, it's been a thirty-year period, so we do have the data to support all this, and we really need to get that message across. Absolutely, yeah. The media is is
0: absolutely um, full of you know these kind of messages about climate change, and particularly with COP twenty six coming to Glasgow. Um, so Scotland's aiming to be net zero by twenty forty five. What do you see, what do you hope to see coming out of this conference, um, both for Scotland and of course globally too?
1: Well, I mean, I do think it's it's a challenge. Globally, because um, politicians, rightly or wrongly, do think in uh, periods of maybe five years or 10 years, that's what uh, legacy means to, to politicians, I think um whereas we need to shift that thinking we really need to as you say think about the sort of 20 uh, 2045, 20, 2050 20, um, deadlines uh, so I would like to see um, I'd like to see uh, some legally binding targets that are that are serious <laughs> that um, that we can uh, follow up in terms of um, a sort of collective political will. Um, I also think you know it's, we really have a responsibility to support the developing world here as well because we in the developed world have um, burnt our coal and our oil um, for for decades now Um it's, it's very undamaged the planet it's it's not particularly fair or it's certainly not very just to then ask um, other countries who are beginning to exploit those resources and, and develop economies to put the brakes on um, so we, we do need to look at how we work as a, as a, as a collective of nations to support everybody in this um, and I'd also like to make, to make sure that some of the voices from the countries that are being badly affected now, who really struggle to mitigate against the rising sea levels or against the um, the, the, the wildfires. Um, or who are having their economies destroyed because of um, coral reefs and fishing issues, and um, I'd like to hear. I'd like I'd like them to be given a really strong platform so that we all um, around the world hear those stories properly, firsthand, and uh, and get and, and appreciate the damage.
2: Hey, the, you know, we hear the stories and all the data about climate change and all the it's quite overwhelming and quite frightening for a lot of people as as that information comes out and as we try to you know create that awareness so that people do know what's going on and what to expect do you have any thoughts on on, of sort of optimism for um how we might be able to turn this around um so that so that people can feel like you know there there is a way out of this without being too frightened of of you know this ongoing emergency
1: I think that's a really good point, actually. How we balance um, really uh, very important messages about uh, the, the the devastating damage and the the um, challenge around that, with some hope. And um, and I think when it comes to uh, you know young people in particular, then I uh, I like to um, remind them that they are um, probably. The, the, one of the most educated young population on science that we've ever had. Um, also how actually they have managed to uh, make change already in terms of getting uh, politicians and the older generation and policymakers to sit up and take notice. Uh, we've, we've had school strikes, we've had youth marches on this. So um, there, there's, I think that's, hopeful. I think that's a reason for for optimism. Um, And I think we also have some examples of of, um, where we have done quite well. I mean, some of it one could argue has been the easy stuff. So the fact that we get Close to one hundred percent of our electricity here in Scotland from renewable sources. That's that's good. Um, also, I also like to draw a parallel with um, with a worldwide situation that we had in the eighties, and that was with um, CFCs and the ozone hole. and uh, And we did discover this uh, this big issue with our um, our ozone layer and what was causing it and it was gas you know so similar similar to climate change um and Globally, countries got together. They signed the Montreal Protocol in 1987, I think it was, and they limited the use of CFCs, phased them out, and the ozone hole is repairing itself. Now, carbon, carbon dioxide and, and uh, greenhouse gases is a much bigger challenge, and there's obviously a very uh, direct link with oil and, 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 and economies in a way that CFCs probably didn't quite have that um, that sort of uh, financial um, uh, Sort of challenge for countries, but at the same time, there is there's an example there. You know, there is it's happened before. Countries have come together to solve a global crisis, um, which did could have had incredibly serious um, ramifications. Um, So. So there is some hope. I think there 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 can be some optimism, and I'm very careful when I'm speaking to young audiences in particular to finish on that note, uh, because you're right. We do not want to create you know real um, you know ongoing an- anxiety and fear, uh, but we at the same time we need to balance that with let's make sure we see some action.
2: You mentioned with your work through STEM education as well that you know we do have. Quite well educated, uh, youthful audience as far as um, the climate emergency and the nature emergency. Um, but obviously, the decision makers are, are generally tend to be adults. Is, is part of the hope that those young people will start to almost educate the the older people who who might not be aware of how just how devastating this emergency could be if action isn't taken.
1: I think so, and I think um, we've seen um, a rise in the number of um, youth organisations, uh, so to speak, that are associated with um, whether it's public bodies, whether it's industry. Um, I think a, a lot of it off the back of the year of the of young people that we, that we had a few years ago here at, here in Scotland, and um, uh, so I think lots of organisations have. Um, seen the wisdom of engaging youth voices. Um, So, But I'm really keen that we make sure that that is not tokenism and that actually those youth voices can help shape strategy and agenda going forward. Um, So I think we constantly need to reflect on how we are doing that, getting young people involved in our organisations and giving them the opportunity to do exactly, uh, as you say, to, um, to educate, influence and have their voice heard um, seriously uh, and 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 that's something that we can continue to improve on and we can um, look to best practice and uh, and encourage others who are not doing that to um, to, to see the benefit in, uh, in in engaging in that way
2: from a, a perspective of things that's We can all be doing that. That's what we try to look for in our our Make Space for Nature um, campaign. Do you have any examples of of things that you like to do just in your everyday life that we could all be trying to do to, to help with the climate emergency?
1: Well, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about that because I think make space for nature is um, a fantastic uh, strap line, um, and it's something we should all be doing. And I think the pandemic, in particular, made us all much more aware of what was on our doorstep. I live in in Glasgow, so I live in a city, um, and you know, I was aware of the Botanic Gardens and, and Kelvin Grove Park and and, and Glasgow Green, but um, I now know many, many more uh, rivers and canals to go. For a bike ride or, or a, a walk along. Um, again, something that um, I, I discovered that I'd only ever heard about but actually now have visited several times was the Seven Lochs project out towards the northeast of the city, um, which is a, a tremendous green space um, linking uh, the, the lochs in the sort of northeast of Glasgow across to um, sort of Drumpelier Way in uh, North Lanarkshire. And um, and also some great learning resources online as well. Um, in terms of the wildlife you'll see while you're in that part of um, of Glasgow, um, so I think I've definitely discovered a lot more on my own uh, doorstep. Uh, and. Um, I- and I'm also trying to get back to doing what my daughter and I, and she's 17 now, but what we've been doing for the past, I don't know, six, seven years, has been actually doing some of the, the great trails in, in Scotland. So we did the West Highland Way when she was 10, um, and we've done the Great Glen Way, the Murray Coast Trail, Speyside Way. And I think what's really struck me about doing some of these multi-stage walks is how accessible they actually are by public transport. Um, so what you can get to, whether it's Fort William, Inverness or Aviemore um, by by train easily and then quite a few. So you can actually choose to maybe just go for a weekend and do um, do two stages and use some buses and trains to, to, to get around. Um, so we've been doing a little bit more of that as lockdown eased without actually doing the sort of full week away. Um, and... I think that's a, a great way of, of, of getting into enjoying the outdoors um, in sort of, uh, their, you know, their good paths. <laughs> None of them are involved climbing too, too high a mountain. Um, so if you've enjoyed uh, walking around the green spaces in towns and cities, then I would encourage people to to look at some of the, the, the great trails we have here in Scotland, whether it's parts of the West Highland way up the side of Loch Lomond, or whether it's following the River Spey from source to sea and the wildlife that you, you encounter along that journey, then um, they're accessible. They really are accessible. And, you know, young people, I think, would really engage with that nature that's on their doorstep here in Scotland uh, more and more and get an appreciation for how endangered some of it is and the links with our changing weather and climate as well.
0: Absolutely. Um, certainly um, lockdown, you know, definitely developed everybody's love and appreciation of nature. So so hopefully, um, you know, the, the targets that come out of COP26 will, will definitely reflect that. So a, a, a less serious question, but but an important one. I think. Um, what's your favourite type of weather, and what do you like to do in Scotland's great outdoors? You, you kind of touched on that there, but what's your what's your ideal kind of day out in, in Scotland
1: out, outdoors? Yeah, well, I do get asked this a lot. Usually by about primary three or primary <laughs> four people. So, but um, no, I um, I love autumn. I really do. This time of year, um, I love a crisp sort of touch of frost start in the morning, and then the temperature climbing to a, a sort of maybe a reasonable. Plus 10, plus 12 by the afternoon in some uh, autumnal sunshine, seeing the trees changing colour um, is fantastic. So, that's probably my favourite type of weather. And um, and again, just doing a, a nice. I like a, a loch on one side and a hill on the other. So my um, my husband and daughter tease me about the fact that while they are off maybe at Glentress or doing some serious mountain biking, I'm there and um, pleading for you know Aberfoyle and a hill on one side and a, a loch on the other and a nice Land Rover track. And to me, that's uh, with that kind of weather is an ideal uh, day out uh, with a nice um, a nice cafe for a, a good. Cafe of coffee and a
0: slice of cake halfway around Absolutely totally agree with that, a wee scone would be nice as well
2: (laughs) Uh, Just a final question Heather uh, um, if you want to encourage people to do just one thing to change um, in their day to day lives going forward to uh, make space for nature in some way, be it their their mental health or or helping with citizen science or or any small thing they can do around the house, what, what would you encourage people to do?
1: Well, I think um, what is perhaps beginning to receive more attention now is, um, is uh, the food that we eat and um, looking at perhaps eating a little less meat um, and also looking at where that meat's coming from. So yes, support our, our Scottish farmers um, in terms of um, where your, your meat comes from, but also to um, look at uh, more generally where our um, our food is coming from, where our, our fruit and veg is coming from as well. Um, and we've started doing a Vegan Monday in our house as well to uh, look at how we reduce our carbon footprint too and um, so I think awareness about food miles and awareness about um, our, our own local area and our own local food producers um, is is really important so I think we should all maybe just you know, take a take a minute to have a have some thoughts about where about our, our food supply, and I think that's probably even more um, relevant at the moment when we have some challenges in terms of um, distribution of um, of food and uh, and food traveling around the world and across countries. Um, so so that's probably what where I am at at the moment in terms of uh, COP twenty six and thinking a little bit about my own carbon footprint.
2: Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us, Heather. I think we can all enjoy a a vegan or vegetarian day every now and then. I've I've been converted in recent times as well. Thank you for joining us so much. And please keep making space for your nature in your own life. And thank you for helping us understand a little bit more about Scotland's weather and um, what we can all do to to try and help avert the climate crisis.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yes, weird and wonderful weather. (laughs) Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying Make
0: Space for Nature, we'd really appreciate if you could give it a follow in your podcast app and leave a review or a rating. We'd also love it if you could tell just one other person about it. If you'd like to find out more about how you can connect with and help protect Scotland's natural world, go to nature.scot.